Um, over the past few weeks, we've been doing a series on the church. Uh, last week, James, James did a really, really great job. Um, we should go away more often. Um, James did a really great job. If you weren't here, listen to it on the podcast. He, and the, the, what he was looking at was sort of exploring the church as a community. And in the run-up to Advent, I'd like to sort of carry along this theme a little bit. It feels like something the Lord wants to kind of uh, draw to our attention. I'm really running out of space. Um, Pete, can I use your little... Yeah. So in the run-up to um, Advent, uh, I'd like us to carry along this theme over the next few Sunday uh, mornings. We'll end it. We'll finish this sort of series with, uh, with an open conversation at the evening service. Uh, on the, so the last evening service, 24th of uh, November, um, where we'll kind of have an open discussion about that. And it's, the evening service is a really great space for that, so I'd encourage you to come along to that. And then after that, I think Charlie's taking everyone off to the pub. I think he said he was buying everyone drinks. Um, so do come along uh, if you're a rep. Right uh, on the very first page of the Bible, God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And so right from the very get-go, uh, we get this amazing insight into the very nature of God, that God, by his very nature, is, is, is not simply one, uh, but God is plural. You know, as we know, God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit. God is, in and of himself, a God of relationship. And this mysterious, this majestic, three-in-one, Trinitarian God dwells in um, perfect communion, perfect relational uh, community, one with the other. Someone once said, God is a family who makes family. And we know that God is love. Equally, we know that love cannot exist without relationship. And so in the Genesis story, we are created, if you like, out of the overflow of God's relational, generous, self-giving, loving self. And created in God's image and created in God's likeness means that we too are created for relationship and in particular for family. Now, this motif of family to describe uh, the people of God, which very much includes uh, the church, is, is quite literally kind of littered all over the pages of the Bible. And this morning I want us to carry on from where James left off last week, where he was talking about the church as community, and I want to talk about the church as family. And of all the sort of word pictures and metaphors that are used to describe the church in the Bible, the one that stands out over and above the rest is that of family. And in fact, it's so much of the essence of the church that it can't even really be called a, a metaphor. You know, metaphors describe what the church is like or what the church is similar to. And so in the Bible, you've got all these sort of metaphors that we are to be light, you know, we're like a flock, we're like a field, we're like a building. But family, um, it's not really metaphorical. It's like a literal description of what we know of as church. 
The church is not like family. The church is family. God is literally our father. Jesus is literally our elder brother. And we are literally brothers and sisters in Christ. And family is the kind of primary way that the early church identified themselves. You see that by the fact that the word disciple which is like so prevalent in the early part of the New Testament, it sort of all but disappears after the book of Acts, where it gets replaced by this idea, this notion, this descriptor of brother and sister. And this idea of family dominates the understanding of the early church, and it's deeply rooted in the revelation of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. It's then picked up by Paul, you know, who he consistently, through his writings, he consistently threads together this idea of the fatherhood of God and the believer's relationship one uh, with another. And in the same way that Paul can't think of God outside of his fatherness, neither can he think of believers outside of their brotherhood and their sisterhood. So, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, here's Jesus. He's having another run-in um, with the authorities. And actually, in the verses, we're going to start from verse 31. Actually, in the verses before, it sort of looks like Jesus is having a bit of a run-in with his family when they kind of hear or think what they understand Jesus is doing. In verse 21, it says this. It says, when they heard about this, what Jesus was doing, they went to take charge of him, for they said he was out of his mind. Uh, so it's not all plain sailing for Jesus in his family, it would seem, which is slightly reassuring. Uh, let's read from verse 31. It says this, Then Jesus' mother's, uh, Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers? Jesus asked. Then he looked around at those seated in a circle around him, and he said, Here! are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So it's kind of good to see that even Jesus' family dynamics are pretty complicated. Um, I can't even begin to imagine how Mary would have felt about that little line there, but uh, that's another story. The point is that for Jesus, family isn't so much about bloodline as it is about the people who, who are around him. It's, it's these people around him, his disciples, his followers. It's the people who are doing God's will. That's Jesus' community. That's Jesus' family. You know, when you think about Jesus, how does he most often refer to God? He describes him and he calls him Father. Right? That's what he does. And how does Jesus call his followers? How does Jesus call his disciples? He calls them his brothers and sisters. And, and in the Greek, the word is adelphoi. And it's a word that's not only used by Jesus, it's used by every single one of the New Testament uh, writers as a very frequent description. It describes all of us lot. Every follower of Jesus has gone before us, every follower of Jesus that will come after us. And it's used like 342 times in the New Testament. And it's at the heart of this kind of community that Jesus is wanting to build. 
Now, community, James was talking about this last week. Community means all kinds of different things to all kinds of people. There are all kinds of communities. There's churches, there's schools, there's neighborhoods. There's all kinds of, I have no idea, but like weird online virtual communities that exist. Um, but for Jesus, the type of community that we are called to be, at least in his intent, is that of a family. And some kind of idealistic level, you know, the whole idea of family, it sounds, oh, it's lovely, isn't that lovely, sweet family, you know, it's all nice and wholesome and picture perfect. Um, I don't know about you, but like family can be that, but often family isn't that. Um, certainly my experience of my family growing up and being now an adult uh, in, I think, in my family, uh, is my experience of family is actually pretty complicated. Uh, as a parent now in a family, of a family, it's really, really complicated. <laughs> it's really, really complicated. And so it's not just this sweet uh, descriptor. It is challenging, hugely challenging. And yet, with all the potential complications, that is what Jesus has called us as his disciples. That is what Jesus has called us to as his brothers and sisters. Jesus is calling us. Jesus is calling his community. Jesus is calling the church to be a family. And for Jesus, for us to be a son or a daughter of the Father is at the same time for us to be brothers and sisters with one another. So for good or for bad, kind of whether we like it or not, we're a family. Huh. Turn to somebody next to you and say, we're family. I meant it. <laughs> We're family, yes. And, um, you know, you look at the New Testament, you look at Paul's writings, it's like one of his go-to metaphors uh, for Jesus' new family. Of, you know, and you've got to remember, this is like of Jews and of Gentiles and kind of anybody who wants to join. It's like open for everyone. Paul's metaphor, the way he described it, was adoption. You know, have a look at Galatians chapter 4 and... Uh, any of you who have adopted, I know some of you here have adopted, or you know people who have adopted children, but any of us know that from the moment the judge's gavel you know, hits the, whatever that thing is, the bit of wood, at that very moment, that child becomes your son or your daughter. And any other children that you might have, they become their siblings. And family kind of gets to work like that. It works that way. Whether you're born into it sort of naturally, whether you're adopted into it, you're in family. You're in it. You're stuck in it. You know, and um, we don't get to then choose how we are in that family. You know, we don't get to say, oh, well, I quite like mum. don't know about dad. Uh, I don't really like him. I'll be in relationship with mum, but not with dad or I'll be in a relationship with mum and dad, but my siblings, they are a complete and utter pain. I'm not having anything to do with it. We don't get to choose that, because in families, everything kind of goes together. We're in it, and that's what makes them family. So what does all of this mean? First off, this whole idea, the most, most basic vision for, uh, that Jesus has for the church is that of family. For Jesus, um, the church isn't a building. The church isn't an event on a Sunday. It's family. And that's how we are to function, in relationship with one another. And, you know, what is it, the sort of things that healthy-ish families do? What, what, what are the descriptors? What is it that healthy family life looks like? 
And how does that relate to what we're doing in the church? Uh, amongst other things, uh, healthy families, they, they do life together. Healthy families, they spend, they spend time together. And you look at the life of Jesus, you know, throughout the, the gospel accounts, you just look at the way Jesus lived. You see Jesus doing just that, doing life. He did life with the people around him. You know, whether it was walking, talking, teaching, laughing, crying, partying, playing, grieving, and so much more. Jesus lived out that whole rich gamut of life. Being, it was all played out together in this context of doing life together and being in relationship with one another. And that's what we do in our families, in our natural families. And that's what we're called to do in the church family. Another thing that natural families do, is, uh, healthy families do, is like studies have been done on this, but healthy families eat together. And, you know, again, you read through the gospel accounts of Jesus, he's like eating all the time. He's like eating all the time. He's eating with all kinds of people, and food is like such an important part of Jesus' ministry. Food is like an important part of this church and the way that we do stuff, um, whether it's in house group, whether it's um, us just hanging out together and having meals together, whether it's celebrating the Lord's Supper together. Um, families do food. They eat together. It's where, you know, when we sit down with our kids on the rare occasions that they're all in one place at the same time, but we, we, we find out what's going on with them, usually over food. Uh, other things, families are loving and accept, uh, uh, affectionate towards each other, but they also hold each other accountable. And, you know, that usually looks like some kind of discipline uh, for a younger member. It could be like some kind of intervention for an older member of the family. But there's accountability in families, in, um, in Matthew 18, and, and, and so many other passages throughout the New Testament. You get this clear understanding, this clear demonstration that um, this tougher part of doing life together as a family is an important part of being part of a healthy family. And we don't really like to hear this, you know, but the New Testament is full of examples of church discipline. And all healthy families, they live in this balance between um, loving acceptance and, and loving accountability. And that's just what family life is like. And Jesus' family is no different. Um, what, are, what other things? Uh, healthy families share resources. You see that right throughout the New Testament of how the disciples, how the followers of Jesus shared their resources. With that, um, you get examples of how they shared responsibilities. Um, I don't know about you, but in our house, after dinner, everyone pitches in. And everyone has a job to kind of clean up the kitchen. At least that's how it's supposed to work. Um, but the idea is there, and the, the thought is there, at least. Um, families bear one another burdens. You know, you look at that and see that in the language of Galatians. And so it goes on. You've got all these features, all these many, many features, the uh, things that make a family. And that's both with our natural families and with our um, church family, even though most of us aren't, aren't related at all. So we've got this picture that's being described of um, togetherness, of doing life together, of making decisions together, of encouraging one another, of blessing one another. These are all the hallmarks, these are the characteristics, if you like, of what the church looks like in practice. And then a second thing about um, what it means to be family is that, um, as most of us know uh, too well, is that family uh, can sometimes be the place of our deepest hurt and yet is also the place of our deepest healing. Um, some of our highest 
highs and our lowest lows come from our relationships. They come from our family relationships often. Um, we're all relational. We're relational at the very core of our being. Um, one of the things that loneliness really tells us about ourselves, you know, whether that loneliness is chronic or acute or slight or significant, is that loneliness is, is proof of our relational design. We're designed for relationships. We yearn for, we long for, we desire relationships. We, we have this longing to participate in the lives of others. You know, fundamentally, we're relational souls. We cannot not be relational. But this is where it gets a bit more challenging, because a major part of being relational means um, making ourselves vulnerable. If you want to have meaningful relationships, we're going to have to work out our stuff around trust. Uh, we have to move towards honesty and openness, towards some kind of reality. And I don't know about you, but I find that really, really hard. Like, really, really hard. So, because we're afraid, what we do is we settle, and we settle for the superficial, the kind of, you know, hi, how are you? I'm fine, thanks, conversations that make up so many of our relationships. Even here in the church, dare I say it, maybe especially here in the church. We were talking at the evening service a couple of weeks ago about what the church is, and someone was saying how hard it can be for them, even in church, even with their brothers and sisters, to open up about what's really going on with them. And they were sort of saying how easy it is in churches for everyone to put their best selves forward. So that if you're struggling, you know, I don't know, with doubt or uncertainty, maybe even sin, I don't know, that it becomes really hard to open up about that stuff because the impression that we have of each other the impression we give each other of ourselves is that we're all sorted, which really isn't the case. And so, a lot like being at home, where we're often the most true and honest versions of ourselves, you know, warts and all, the church family is supposed to be like that. And that's really, really risky, <laughs> really risky. Um, and we're going to get it wrong and maybe occasionally we'll get it right. But the only way to heal this broken part of our soul is not through some notion of the perfect, you know, which doesn't really exist, but it's through healthy and loving relationships with God as our Father, with ourselves and with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And all of that happens in and through the family of God, the church, because it's a kingdom of God family. That's how God has intended for us to do life and relationships. The way God does this work of healing, of our shame, which is really what is at the heart of it all for some of us and most of us, uh, the healing of our fear of vulnerability is actually through our relationships. It's through being part of a loving family that does all the things that I was saying healthy families do. And the reality is we've... We're all both hurt at the deepest level by our relationships, um, but at the same time, we are also healed at the deepest level by and in the context of our relationships. Because it's when we're in authentic community, like a family, that all of our stuff 
comes to the surface. You know, if you could do a fly on the wall documentary of me at home, or me at work uh, for that matter, you would get, let's just say, a possibly slightly different impression of what I can be like. Just ask Kate, um, I'm sure she will illustrate for you perfectly, uh, just ask some of the godly men and women on the staff team of what they have to endure. Um, but <laughs> I'm giving an honest and accurate picture, I'm being vulnerable. Uh, Yeah, that's why I said all of that because you're supposed to go, no, you're not. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yes, that's lovely and true-ish, but there are also other there are other truths in that, and um, and that's because I feel safe. It's because I feel comfortable. It's because I feel I know that I'm loved. I, I know that I'm in a safe environment. I'm with the people that I love most. James talked about it last week. You know, it's where we are known and loved and held that actually we can then let some of our guards down and be ourselves. And sometimes that's pretty horrendous self. But that's what Jesus is in the process of transforming. So, um, you know, but it's not just my sin that comes up, although that's part of it, you know, at work or at home or wherever. Um, what comes up are some of the hurts that I've experienced, some of the hurts that we've experienced that have shaped us and have informed us and have, have, have caused us to then think about life as something that we need to defend ourselves against or whatever. And so they've made us or caused us to respond and react in the way that we're doing. All I'm saying is that just like in our natural families where we get to be ourselves and yet are um, loved sometimes in spite of that, uh, as the church, we're called to be a family um, so that in relationship with God and in relationship with one another, we might get to experience that same kind of acceptance and love and forgiveness and freedom and transformation as Jesus is transforming us with ever-increasing glory into his image. Um, the last thing I want to say about family, and it's different, what, this is what makes it different from other forms of community, um, is that in family you... you um, you, 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 you don't really get to drop out, you know? Um, so uh, you're kind of in it, sort of slightly for life-ish. Um, for better or for worse, you're in it for the long haul, you know? And we talked about this a few months ago, about while we may get to choose our friends, we don't get to choose our families. Uh, you know, friendship is based on all kinds of things like choice, chemistry, personality, life stage, common interest, all sorts of different things. And none of that is bad at all. But family, family is, um, is something else altogether. We don't get to pick uh, family. You might get along swimmingly with your parents. You might get along famously with your siblings, or you may not. But either way, you'll still probably show up at Christmas occasionally. And the truth of the matter is that family is for life. Um, Robert Frost famously wrote, home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. Um, which is a pretty cynical take on family. Accurate, but cynical. Um, but you get the drift. We're, we're put together as family, not so much because we choose each other, but because we ended up together. God set us in that family. 
And church can be a lot like that, you know, which is just another thing that can make it so challenging. Um, but it's all at the same time part of its beauty and wonder. Um, you know, at first, it's all great. You, you, you go along to church and everyone's nice and everyone's kind and welcoming and sweet. And you're like, oh, this is amazing. I love it. I love it. I love it. <gasps> it's great. And, and then you kind of settle into things. You go for a few weeks or a few months or whatever. And you settle into things and it's a bit like, yeah, I don't know, maybe it's a bit routine. It's a bit like samey. It's a bit, maybe it's actually a bit dull. But uh, okay, well, you know. Um, and then you kind of settle in and, and then you move into the inevitable patches of conflict um, where you begin to notice the things that you don't really like. You begin to notice there's actually quite a few people that you really don't like. Um, and then you get the frustrations with this or that or the way that we do this or the way that we do that or the way that we don't do this or we don't do that or whatever. And before you know it, all these things are sort of starting to bubble up to the surface and, and we start to get frustrated and we start to get um, annoyed. We start to maybe get a little bit critical or whatever it is, you know. And it's what we do with all of that stuff, um, what we do with those feelings, either as the person who's having them or the person who's hearing about them, that, that is where it's could potentially get interesting. Because you start to hear that, and you're like, wow, actually, maybe there's a little bit of reality going on here. Like, maybe this could actually be like maybe the beginning of an honest conversation. This is, this is interesting. So-and-so just told me how upset they were about this and that, or you know, they just told me how offended they were by something that Neil said, or something that Neil did, or something that Neil didn't do, or something that Neil didn't say, or how they're struggling with their faith, or how they're having all of these doubts. And you're like, Actually, wow, rather than just squashing all of that down, you're like, we're actually talking. We're actually getting somewhere. This sounds like this could be the beginning of intimacy. People are beginning to open up. And our conversations aren't just an observation about, you know, whatever, or, you know, did you like the sermon or whatever. They're, they're like um, the conversations are beginning to get to a point where we're actually beginning to bear our soul soul to soul, and, and, and that's when things have the potential, at least, to get really interesting because we're starting to be honest with each other, we're starting to be real with each other, and we're starting to be honest and real back. Now, the trouble is, some people bail around uh, the beginning of phase and stage three. You know, the point where we start noticing things that we don't like or the people that we don't like or the ways... Um, of, of doing stuff that we don't like anymore. And, you know, we've heard that there's this other church up the road uh, and from all their social media pages, it looks like they've got all their ducks in a row, so I'm going to go there. And not always, by any means, but very often, guess what happens? The exact same thing happens there. And it all starts out so well, and it's like, oh my gosh, yeah, that was such a good decision. These people are so much nicer than that flipping last lot. These people are really lovely, and like, they, like, they do all kinds of things that are amazing. And then after a while, it's like, oh, actually, it's a bit normal. It's a bit, mm, a bit routine, a bit dull. And then you start noticing things that wind you up, and you're back to the same place and back to the same choice of do you bail and go and find another new church that started up just the road, up, up, down the road, or even worse, do you abandon church for good? as some are in the habit of doing? Or do you push through into some kind of meaningful, honest, very, very difficult, very, very challenging, open, vulnerable, authenticity of relationship where everyone has the opportunity to grow? 
someone uh, wrote, spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. Put another way, we become like Jesus for the most part in relationships. People who remain connected with their brothers and sisters in the local church almost invariably grow in self-understanding. And what that means is all of their stuff comes up. This is especially the case for those courageous Christians who stick it out through the often messy process of interpersonal discord and conflict resolution. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. Hurrah. We cannot heal apart from the relational love of others. Salvation is healing. comes from the Latin sal, meaning ointment. Ointment you put on a wound. And there is no salvation. There is no healing apart from relationship. All of our healing, all of our salvation comes out of and through the context of relationship. First and foremost, in the restoration of our relationship with God through the work of Christ on the cross. And then worked out in practice with God's family in and through the love of our brothers and sisters. And um, Jesus' way of bringing us into the full extent of the healing he has for us is through being in relationship with his often very annoying and very dysfunctional family, the church. So, how well are we doing family as a church? You know, are we loving and affectionate towards each other? Just look at the people around. The people in this room, the people who should be in this room but aren't in this room. Are we loving and affectionate towards one another? Are we holding one another accountable? So the people who should be in this room, who aren't in this room, are we going to call them up and say, where the hell were you this morning? Missed you. In a loving and affectionate way. (laughs) Are we... Are we sharing our resources with one another? So that where we know of need. Because we know of need that's going on. Are we giving of ourselves and our resources to one another? Are we, are we sharing our responsibility? Are we, are we clearing the kitchen up after supper? Are we, are we all chipping in? Are we all playing our part? Are we, are we bearing one another's burdens? You know, when one part rejoices, everyone rejoices. When one part suffers, everyone suffers. Are we, are we supporting one another? Are we carrying, helping carrying loads that we're aware of, where we know people are going through hard times? Are we, are we eating together? Like just a simple thing, like are we, are we inviting people into our homes? Are we going out for dinner? Are we celebrating the Lord's Supper together wherever we meet. You know, you can celebrate the Lord's Supper wherever you are. Jackie Pullinger, amazing. She just celebrates the Lord's Supper everywhere she goes and she just grabs whatever she can find, you know, a donut and a can of Coke or a cream cracker or a glass of water. But she celebrates the Lord's Supper everywhere she goes and that's how we should be doing. Uh, I wish that we did it more. But like, um, you know, in your small groups, in your house groups, when you get together with other members of the body of Christ, just... Celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Eat together. Eat of that meal. Here's a big one for us in our lovely London lives. Are we making time for one another? Are we creating space within our schedules to just be with one another? Or are we too busy 
doing all sorts of amazingly wonderful things that we don't actually ever get to deepen our relationships because we just don't have time. And, and then what are we doing with that time? Are we being vulnerable? Are we being real? Are we choosing to show up and allow ourselves to be known and holding other people's vulnerability and their reality and uh, as, they, as they show up and they share their hearts? So are we, are we doing life together, really, is what I kind of am asking. So, that's a rhetorical question for you to think about. My question for you to think about over the course of this week is, what can we practically do this week? So this is something for you to take away, and action. What can we practically do this week? What can we practically do this morning? I mean, we've got like an hour and 15 minutes left of time together. What can we practically do this morning? I say that because I don't ever leave here till one o'clock. <laughs> I've got an hour and 15 minutes. You probably don't. <laughs> you might have an hour and 15 minutes if you created the space to have an hour and 15 minutes. You don't have to dash off. What can we practically do this morning to be a more loving family to one another? Why don't you stand?